gorgeous people and welcome back to another episode of What Is This Feeling? A podcast where I talk about everything gay, theatre, drag, spirituality and sex. I am Piotr and I'm a Pisces and this week we're going to talk about jobs. Jobs. What kind of jobs do you like? What's your dream job? Horrible experiences during jobs. We're going to talk about it all today in What Is This Feeling? Yeah. <laughs> To start a podcast off, I've got a question from a listener. Yay! The first question that I received. Yay! And I will answer this in the drag segment. So stay tuned and keep listening. When I was younger, the first job that I thought would be fun was to work in a factory on a conveyor belt, uh, packing up games like board games and just, you know filling up the box in, on a conveyor belt and I thought it would be very fun and I had in mind that I would just do that during the summer for a month and then I would receive a lot of money for it and that would just sort me out for the year or something. When I was really small I thought that would be um, the plan for me to do at that time. <laughs> when I grew all the theatre came in my life and that was my goal but in the meantime I was doing small jobs here and there and I remember, I think I was around 14 years old when I started helping out my grandparents in their garden. They had a massive garden at the back and a big garden in the front with a fence and everything. So I remember a couple of summers I helped them out in keeping their garden nice. So they had a couple of like fruit trees in there as well, like an apple tree and a plum tree. And I remember picking the plums. I got a little bit of money for that. So that was my kind of first unofficial job. My official first job was in a Dutch supermarket called the Albert Hang and I was on the till. I was 16 years old. I was on the till. I remember doing the interview and saying I want to be on the till and that's it. And I remember the guy who was doing the interview was a bit, a bit surprised, a bit confused because usually when you are a bit younger, you just, you know, work in the back and like fill all the things in the shop with products and stuff. But I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to be on the till. I want to give the change to people. I wanted to scan the products. I thought that would be really fun to scan, give money out, have a nice day. And that's it. So eventually I I, I got it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I hated it. I just felt I was... Um, I don't want to say fragile, but I was a bit fragile and I felt that if things came up with customers, I felt I didn't really know how to deal with it. So, for example, um, usually I worked in the afternoon, but one day I worked the morning shift at eight o'clock. So you open it and there's people waiting who wanted things from, you know, the bakery section for something for that breakfast. So I was behind a tail. And there was a guy, remember, literally the first customer guy, came with two croissants, croissantes, a croissant, how do you, how do you, yeah, well, croissant, croissant, yeah. And there was no barcode on it, because I bet he was um, not very kind to the people from the bakery and just wanted to have two croissants, croissant, croissant, to have two croissants. And um, so... I couldn't scan it and me literally just been working there for a month or a month and a half 
I was like, oh, let me call them back and they didn't pick up. And then I could, you know, do the on the intercom saying like, hello, someone from the bakery, can you come to tail blah, 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 please or something. And it was literally not even a minute. And that guy became angry and he started shouting at me. And me, my 16 year old with not having a backbone was just crumbling behind the tail like, what do I do? And luckily a colleague came up because I was literally the only tail open came up to my tail and says, oh, I will sort you out. And he took him away. And I was literally like, literally shaking. I remember someone being angry at me. And then the next customer in line, he was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then my colleague came up to me afterwards as well saying like, are you okay? I was like, yes, I'm okay. But yeah, socially, I was, um, I was not ready to work behind the tail. And I only did that for three months because me and my parents always went to uh, an island on the coast of the Netherlands uh, called Flieland. It's amazing. We all go there every... Uh, in the UK, you say half term. But in the Netherlands, we say autumn vacation. Herstvakansi. And I asked that week off because, you know, who's gone on holiday? And they didn't give me off. They just planned me in. So I just handed in my notice a couple of days before. And I said, I'm not working. And I, yeah, I stopped working there. But it was a nice first experience, um, knowing I didn't have a backbone. My pulse is rushing. My head is reeling. My face is flushing. What is this show? My first proper professional paid job, acting job, was during the musical Shrek. I loved it. It was amazing. Cool. After that, in the UK, I did some bits and bobs. I I did a um, a watch commercial ad promo in the Netherlands as well which was um, interesting and well when I came to UK I've done some um, you know small acting jobs here and there but to pay the rent I have worked in front of house a lot so I like still being in a theatre and I can tell you working front of house and working in customer service it's a whole nother ball game compared to any office jobs or any other things because you have to deal with people. Now, luckily over the years, I have created a little bit of a backbone. So when I started working as front of house, I um, I was fine. <laughs> I, w I was dealing with it better. So at the first time I was working as front of house, I remembered the, a patron came up to me and they were like, I've seen a mouse in the auditorium and I was like oh oh, oh I'm so sorry uh, I'm gonna tell my managers and um, let you know so I walked to one of my supervisors and said oh a, a patron just saw a mouse and my supervisor was like there's mice everywhere it was built in the 30s it's just how it is and I was like oh yeah that's it's very logical and I wasn't yeah because in the Netherlands the theatres are quite more modern so you wouldn't really expect a lot of mice in a so a week later, another patron came up to me and said, oh, I've seen a mouse in the auditorium. And I was like, oh, OK. And the patron looked at me like, you're not going to do something about it? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Um, I'm going to tell my managers. Yeah. So it was a bit funny that the first time I was very shocked that there was a mouse and then fully accepting that there are a lot of mice in the theatres, in the West End, and anywhere over the world. So if you see a mouse, be kind to them. Now, I was there where the famous shit-throwing incident happened at the theatre that I was working. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, everybody in between. I was working a shift and suddenly a woman came up to the foyer with shit covered on her face and we had to call the police and to sort that all out. Now, the story behind it, during the show, this lady had to go to the toilet. So she stood up, the patrons had to stand up for her to go to the toilet and she walked back. A couple of minutes later, she did it again, went to the toilet, came back. Now, that happened a couple of times about three, four, who knows, five times. Now, the lady who was sitting next to that person got a bit pissed off. What did she do? She went to the toilet herself and pooped in the toilet paper, walked back to her seat and smacked the lady in the face with her shit. Now, th that was, um, yeah, that was interesting and um, it's never dull. It's never dull in a theater. But that was also the reason why I didn't want to work as front of house uh, in theatres anymore. I did have it before when I would do a show and um, I enjoyed it so much that I didn't felt like it was a job. And I think that was kind of my mindset a lot in, in life that I wanted to do a job that didn't feel like a job. And I think performing it was like that it was almost like a bonus that you get money for the things that you love doing oh mama it's drag it would be great if there's like a proper platform where jobs for drag queens are advertised i feel it's um it's very like you know people around you you know the people where you work the venues it's it's uh, a much more kind of social not only job, but how to get the job and how to keep your jobs. It's it's very um, it's a very social thing. I feel, and in a way, the same with theatre. Everybody says, "Oh my God, it's it's not a solid job. You can lose at any time and whatever." And uh, the same with drag as well. It's 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 very it's it's very depends on the people around you, the people that may come to the bars, come to the shows. You know, nowadays when you are on Drag Race that gets pushed and pumped and you can just <laughs> pumped and you can just ask more for what you do and now in a segment i don't know how to call it yet but we have some questions in from a listener yay so the first question that i've got is what was the final push slash major major motivation that got you out of your head and finally into doing drag publicly now the biggest thing I felt was when I felt I was mentally ready, I went to do it. So it was almost like, am I feeling 100% confident and comfortable with how I look? Um, yeah, I think that was it with, with how I look. The nice thing about it was that I didn't have any like fear behind it. And maybe because drag was uh, such a new thing, and even though Drag Race was out and I was watching Drag Race, it um, it was a bit in the in the era era that it wasn't as big as it is now. So from there, there was no pressure for me, I felt. And yeah, in a way, it felt quite natural. It felt um, I was expressing myself. It was a kind of a click. I was quite naive, I think, in that way, that I was just uh, on this kind of flow with, hey, I'm just going to do this and try this and then I'm going to do out and then I'm going to, you know, find some songs and make them my own and rewrite them. And 
and just do it. There was there was not a lot of fear behind it. So I think that was um, a major thing that helped me. And which is funny because, for example, this podcast, I've been thinking about it, doing it for a long time. And um, there was lots of doubts in it, lots of comparing it to other people. And eventually I did it. And, you know, maybe I was I was a bit um, scared to do drag in the beginning, but I maybe suppressed those thoughts and feelings because I'm very good at that. So it might be that I was um, a bit scared by it, but I can't remember it. And I've got another question. Also, how did that major step and fully immersing yourself in the drag scene impact other parts of your life that you might might have been shying away from up until that point? Ooh. I feel performing always gives me lots of confidence and lots of love and it, it gives me a boost already. I did I did felt hard to sell myself and to sell myself as a product as in like this is what i do i am good now you need to buy me i did felt that i found that hard about about drag so maybe i was shy about i don't really like the word shy Ooh, i'm shy but i think i, d I did was shy with that and and maybe the the whole theme of the podcast backbone growing your backbone i didn't really have that kind of backbone to do that so I think it's a bit 50-50 that it had impact on me uh, personally and my gender identity. So I feel it has like a 50-50% impact on my growth as a person. Um, but I also feel that it, it had like 50% didn't have an impact because it, it um, stayed the same in a way. Um, how I did felt was that I wasn't shy with making it known for people and I didn't feel embarrassed about it if if you if it comes to meeting new people and uh for example dating and stuff I always had like you know Instagram linked to a dating profile at the time that would show me in drag and I wasn't uh, afraid of showing that bit because I think I think it says more about you when you don't want to date someone who does drag than about the person themselves Thank you so much for those questions. Thank you. Long listener of the pod. I know he's listening. Uh, Dwayne, thank you so much for the questions. I'm going to plug it straight here. If you want to ask me more questions, please send them over to What Is This Feeling podcast on Instagram. You can send a message just like Dwayne did, or you can send a voice note so I can play it here on the pod. Everything is welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Zen Garden. So I think... The biggest and best job to do in your life is to work on yourself. Please don't tap out. Please don't tap out. I know it sounds cringy, but I think I think the best job to do is working on yourself. Yeah. Um, so the second job I had was working in a dance clothing shop. And because I already felt I wanted, if I want to do a job, I want to do it in a bit of a, in a direction that I like. So I can't perform yet, so I was 18 back then, so I wanted to be in a bit of a direction. So I worked in a in a dance clothing shop called Papillon, and it was really nice, it was really cool. I went to Amsterdam and got taught how to sell points, you know, in ballet, how they get on points. I got taught how to sell those to people, and I remember it was really exciting, and I remember as well, 
one of the first shifts that I did were usually it was with another another lady who owned the shop and it was always very nice very cool and relaxed and it was literally me and her and sometimes she would say oh I will you know pop out or like be gone for I don't know 50 minutes or 20 minutes or something and then I would be alone in the shop and I remembered it was like a shocked child or something when she left the shop I was like oh, I'm by myself what do I do if someone comes in and I don't like it, it's funny that I think I've got all these like weird stressful thoughts in my head and then I'm like where did all of this suddenly came from but looking back and digging into those experiences, I proper, you know, was doing that as well when I was 18. So proper stressing out in being alone in a shop and, you know, making yourself a little bit crazy with, oh my God, if someone comes in or like people come in and laugh or whatever, like you, you can think the craziest things. And I, I would have thought of that. Talking about backbone, I, I, my backbone kept on growing. So when I worked... In customer service here in theatre, I've been working on bars in theatres here and, you know, I've had fights starting at my bar just because patrons thought they were first in line than the person next to them and I had literally had to call over supervisors to stop people fighting at my bar and you're like, I'm just trying to do my job, I'm just trying to give you a drink that you want and... You know, at the end of the day, you don't want all these kind of bullshit around that affect you. And you don't get paid enough for it, I feel. You don't get supported enough for it, I feel. Yeah, it's interesting that people would go somewhere and treat the, the person who serves them on the bar in a weird way. And it's with everything, because we're all the same. We're all the same people, and... Just because you giving me a drink that I asked for doesn't mean I need to treat you differently. And that was in the, when we were in, in America uh, in March. I did felt that customer service there was way more fun and way more respectful because everybody was working hard and you were having a great time together. And that was, it felt, it felt very natural and very more flowy. And one of the things, I, just, I do want to plug it because I am so into healing my inner child. I got this really great book. It's called Homecoming, Reclaiming and Championing Your Inner Child by John Bradshaw, family from Carrie Bradshaw, no kidding. And it's all about healing your inner child. And I think that's kind of a, a big job for me to do. And I think that's kind of a uh, addition to what I have felt with what I cleaned up with therapy and what I have become aware of with therapy. And this is proper linking into things I can work on more and discover more and heal. Um, because as a child, you base your rules, your thoughts, patterns, your thoughts, your things you do in life, you create that as a child and you still do that as an adult. Like I said, I was aware that I was in the shop by myself and having those crazy weird thoughts of like, oh my God, all this trouble is going to happen. All this fear that's almost like popping up. Where did that came from? Did I create that? Because I think if you pop into this world and you're this lovely baby, I don't think you are born with this great fear <laughs> of 
fearing everything and making a problem out of things. So along the way, you have picked it up and put it in your system. And I have put that in my system. So I am de-systeming, no, that's not a word. I'm um, unknotting those things. And yeah, I think I think now it's it's a great time. You know, I've done so many energy work, meditations, going to past lives, and now it's 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 time for this work. And I think it's a really good job for me to do now. <laughs> Linking into the job theme of this week. Thank you. How many jobs do you want? Oh. Okay, we're going to talk very quickly about certain different jobs that you have here. Hand job, yes, lovely. Blow job, hmm, love it. Foot job, nope, not really. I don't like feet. Boob job, um, I don't have big boobs, so I don't think uh, that would work. I wouldn't mind a cute, like, bear or cub giving, <laughs> giving me a boob job. I think that would be cute. Um, what I do like is being told that I'm doing a good job. I think that's kind of, for me, quite of a a turn on being told that I'm doing a good job. I think that's quite, quite hot and sexy. So hey-ho. Going back to a, a story instead of um, my sexual uh, longings slash needs. Uh, one time uh, I met a guy during Pride in Amsterdam years ago, years ago, years ago. We kept on messaging and decided to meet up again. And he lived in the south of the Netherlands. So I took a train to meet him and would stay there for the weekend. And on the way there, I was on the train. I got a text from him. We were just texting like, hey, where are you? La, 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 la. And he sent me a text like, oh, um, just let me know how much the train ticket was. I can pay it for you. And then I was like, um... No, um, I don't want you to pay for me. It was it was funny. I felt a bit offended that he wanted to pay for my train ticket, as if that was kind of the act of service that that he would pay for my train ticket to then have a lovely weekend with him. I got a bit offended by it. Looking back, it's so nice. It was so sweet that someone offered that, and I could have said like, no, it's okay. Um, I don't know, you buy me a drink or whatever, or like, not even, like, I'm, I'm just, you know. But at that time, I was a bit offended, like, oh, I was a bit offended by it, like, oh, I don't want to get paid to, for me spending the weekend with you. It's funny how I thought about it at that time. Yeah. Now, if, if someone, you know, people pay a lot of interesting money for a lot of interesting things. Like, I've seen people, um... Set, not not personally, just, you know, on the web and on YouTube or whatever. I've seen videos where people would send, you know, pictures of their feet, of their hands, and they would sell them to people and people pay money for that. So there's all business in it. I think it would be really easy money to do that. I also saw a, um, a program where a girl was on the webcam and she was just eating her food. And there were men paying for that, paying for her just to eat food on the micro oh, on the microphone, on the webcam. You know, the thought of that is quite nice that you think, oh, I can just do this and then, you know, can get, in a way, it's the same, um, you know, with OnlyFans, you think, oh, I can just make some nice videos and then sell it. People would subscribe and 
give me money for it. I think that's quite like a, a hard thing to do if you need to brand it all and need to, you know, keep the ball rolling because it's you make it into a proper business. There was a, a Dutch actor who was quite like a famous actor. He was gay. And he made an OnlyFans and started making videos on there. And his management dropped him because of that. And it was a whole thing back in the Netherlands a couple of years ago. You know, you can look at it both ways. I understand it from the management that they were like, oh, he's going a different direction with, you know, his, you know, OnlyFans, whatever, to be maybe get into that more instead of his acting. And maybe it would stand in the way of his acting on how he is perceived. But nowadays, there's so many people who are doing both. And it shouldn't work against you with the job that you're already doing. And what I've seen before, it almost feels like a gossip out of this. Uh, on Twitter, I've seen people post that submissive people, subs, have sent their money being submissive financially to the doms. <laughs> so that's an easy job as well. Now, last little story of when I used to work at Prowler. We have a phone at the Prowler, so you can call in and I, I've had uh, conversations with people who just want to have a chat, which was, um, you know, not really part of my job, but hey-ho. And we had prank calls as well. So I've seen my <laughs> colleague of mine get so hyped up and angry before shouting at, on the phone and hanging up. And I was like, who, who was that? And he was like, oh, some kids are doing prank calls. So after five minutes, the phone rang again. And I was like, I, I will pick up. I will pick up. So I pick up the phone and these like teenagers on the phone, whatever, and they were like, oh yeah, my uh, my penis turned blue because of the cock ring and cock ring was too tight. And I was like, oh, oh dear, oh yeah. Oh, I will let my managers know this is not okay. And I said, oh, is there anything else I can help you with? And the teenagers on the other line were like, uh, uh, no, um, no. And then I just hung up the phone. And it was so funny that they hyped up my colleagues so much and they got so much energy from that. And then I just did a proper boner killer with taking it so seriously that they didn't know what to do with it. Was I doing a good job? I think I was. Backbone. Backbone. And on that note, I'm gonna pull a card. I am using the same deck as before. This is the Kyle Gray's The Angel Guide Oracle deck. And this card is for you. Thank you, angels, for guiding us. Thank you, angels, for guiding our listeners this week. Thank you so much. What do our listeners need this week? Our listeners need this. Take charge and action. Powerful. You are powerful. You make a decision, you make a turn. You make a turn right now and you flip it around. You go the other way. You're not going into the direction you've always been. You're like, it's enough now. It's enough. I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to go that way and follow my heart. Be powerful. Be strong. Bam. Go for it. Here we go. That came out very nicely. That's it. Go the other way. It's a lovely card with um, a very strong person with a, an arrow in his hands. And the arrow is pointing to his right. And he's got amazing, beautiful wings. They're all colorful. Mm, yeah, really nice. Yeah, do that. Go for it. Yay. Now, lovely, lovely, lovely people, thank you so much for listening to my, I want to say nonsense, to listening to me. 
And if you have any questions, please let me know. Please message me on What Is This Feeling podcast on Instagram. You can send me a message, send me a voice note so I can play here. Send me anything you like. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Listen to your feelings. Your feelings are valid. You are valid. Have an amazing week. Bye.